0: Welcome, everybody, to our new study. We're going to dive into the Book of Job. I am really looking forward to this study with you guys, and hopefully there will be times where we could even interact, uh, not through the podcast, but through maybe discussion on Google Classroom. So I wanted to take this first lesson to highlight what I often like to call the reader's context. I feel like this is always a really helpful way to situate yourself when you're about to dive into a hardcore study of a book of the Bible. Reader's context is a part of a system that I've put together um, just by thinking about it and studying and reading what other people say about the Bible and It's a part of four contexts. So for those that might be new to this, let me run through it real fast. Reader's context has to do with the ideas that we bring to our reading of the text. And I liken it to packing your bags for a vacation. So we have our bags packed and some of the stuff we're gonna bring in those bags is helpful. Some of it maybe we're gonna learn is not as helpful. And isn't that true on a vacation? you wonder, why did I pack that? Or boy, I wish I would've packed this. So I'm gonna highlight some of those ideas today. The other three contexts that I'll be referring to in future lessons would be historical context. And this would involve background information about the author and the audience. And the illustration I like to use is a passport because a passport, will identify me as a citizen of one country but give me access into another and i think isn't that true with the bible that i'm a citizen of this modern time and culture and i need access into an ancient time and an ancient culture and so having that mentality and learning and researching the culture and thought process um, the politics, the government, all of it within the biblical time is really, really helpful. Eye-opening. So I've said it a whole bunch of times. The Bible was written to them, but it is, of course, for us. The third context is literary context, and this has to do with how to identify the type of literature and the strategies for that particular type of literature, kind of like how to play a board game, you need the instructions. Um, The vacation illustration I like to use is, is this is a tour guide. So you got someone who's helping someone get around when they're at their vacation spot. And I feel like that's what happens when we see the structure of a book in a literary sense. And Understand the rules of that. And that's really going to be a big deal when we get into our study on the book of Job. The last context would be the big story context. I've called this the Bible context in the past, but I like the phrase big story context instead. And this approach or context gets us zooming out and thinking big picture about Genesis to Revelation, the whole biblical canon, and how one particular book fits into that uh, or maybe we're looking at one particular verse and we always want to zoom out and say what where does that verse fit in that paragraph or in that narrative scene and where does it how does it fit within that particular book and that particular testament old or new and then of course the whole biblical redemptive hist- redemptive historical flow from genesis to revelation And we will most definitely do that with the book of Job. So for today, I just want to take one lesson and highlight just for 15 minutes here, reader's context. What are the ideas, the biases, the presuppositions that we're bringing to our reading of the book of Job? So I have 10 real quick that I'm going to highlight um, and I will throughout our lessons come back to these at times and address them. There's, I'm sure, there's a ton more, and I'll probably think of them as we go through the lessons. But here we go. Number one, it is the oldest book written, and um, this argument is pretty common. So a lot of people think the Book of Job was the first book written. Um, in the Bible and the Old Testament. So I just want to acknowledge that that's a common view that people have about the book of Job. And I'm not going to make um, a particular case one way or the other for whether that's true, but that to me is interesting. And that might have some payoff later on with just simply recognizing that people think that. So that's one. Number two, the devil was in heaven. The devil was in heaven. Mm-hmm. So that one's fascinating. Of course, this will come from chapter one, right? So in, in chapter one, uh, oh, sorry. Is it chapter two? Yeah, it is. So chapter two. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I was right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking at it now. Um, yeah, God has a conversation starting in verse 6 with what many people, I'll just, I'm using the word devil on purpose. And so what is going on there? And commonly, I have heard people say over the years that God can't be in the presence of evil. And so yet at the same time, I hear people commonly say the devil was in heaven. So we have a lot of work to do on that one. And I think some historical context will be helpful for that. But of course, this is going to set the stage for what this book is and the point of the book. So that'll be really significant. Number three, the heavenly court scene in chapter one and chapter two involved angels. So what picture do you have in your brain of angels? Are you thinking of Zuzu in It's a Wonderful Life? Clarence, he was a nice man, wasn't he? And he got his wings, right? He got his wings. So the NIV translates the Hebrew phrase as angels. The ESV, the NASB, they do not. They translate it sons of God. That's what it literally says. B'nai Elohim. B'nai is sons and then Elohim, God. So... We gotta talk about that one, and we will. Number four, to make a point to the devil, God allowed the devil to destroy Job's life, and God allowed the devil to kill his kids. That's another common understanding that I think people have of the book of Job, to make a point to the devil in chapter one and chapter two, God allowed the devil to destroy Job's life and kill his kids. Now, Job gets the same number of kids back at the end of the book, but I gotta tell you, Job getting twice as much money back at the end of the book is one thing and you think well that's nice but job's kids dying and yet he gets the same number of kids again at the end i don't know about you but that's unsettling that's unsettling to me so i'm just problematizing the situation here because i want to try to talk about these throughout the lessons but boy that that one is significant to me. Is that really what happened? God was making a point to the devil. And so he said, go ahead, devil, destroy Job's life and you can kill his kids. Oh, but don't hurt Job. You can't kill Job, but you can kill his kids. So that's that's intense and that's tough. Number five, the book of Job is about suffering. The book of Job is about suffering. Is that what the book of Job is about? No doubt Job suffers. But what's the point of the book? What problem is the book really addressing? I know that you and I, we bring our ideas into the text. Remember, we have our bags packed. And so we have certain uh, thoughts, things that we've heard about the book of Job in the past, or just reading it through a modern lens. It is most common to say this is a book about how to deal with suffering. So I wanna just acknowledge that that's, the most common way people see and read this book. And I'm just wanting to say, is that what the author originally intended? Are there clues in the opening chapters and at the end with the literary structure, with the conversation that Job will have with his friends who think they're all that and and super wise? So, we'll talk about that one. Number 6. Job is on trial regarding his morality. Job is on trial regarding his morality. The the buddies are going to be blaming Job for what he is experiencing and I guess this goes along with another one I was going to say later, I'll just say it here. The argument Job's going to make throughout the book is, I have never sinned. And the big idea a lot of people take away from the book of Job is that Job never sins throughout the book. It definitely says that at the end of chapter one. But is that the case throughout the book? Job never sins. Sins, not once. So we got to think about that. So I guess Job being on trial for his morality and the idea of Job never sinning, those fit together.
1: Here's another one.
0: This one's a, a pretty popular one. The Leviathan and Behemoth are dinosaurs. The Leviathan and the Behemoth are dinosaurs. Obviously, for Uh, this to be true um, we would know that they don't have the kind of scientific knowledge that we do but when God speaks in I believe it's chapters 38 and 39 it might be 40 41 when he speaks of the Leviathan and the behemoth these creatures are really impressive the Bible project has a really cool video on the book of Job which I'll post in here at some point, or you guys can just go check it out yourself. And they have a cool uh, segment on the Leviathan and the Behemoth in that video. So I want to acknowledge that very common idea, and I think it would be good to do a study on the Leviathan and the Behemoth, is the Leviathan, and the behemoth mentioned anywhere else in the Bible? And actually, yes. Yes, they are. So we should take some time to look at that and think about that. But no doubt, this idea would be us bringing our modern scientific ideas into the text, and we'll just have a conversation and say, is that valid to do that? So is that what's going on here with these two massive creatures that are brought up? So next, the book of Job teaches the prosperity gospel. Now, I know that most of you right away will not be on board with that. Neither am I. But it is a common use of the book of Job because he... The argument goes, for those that take this view, he remains faithful to God through his trials and God gives him double what he had before, which it's exactly right that God gives him exactly double at the end of the book in terms of his sheep and cows. It's exactly double, guys, which is really fascinating. And I think worth considering what's going on there. So uh, you will not be surprised to know that I will be critiquing the prosperity gospel view in an upcoming lesson. I do not think that's what's going on here. The last one, of course, is going to be the most significant for us in a lot of ways. Because of our view of the Bible being God's word that we believe it's inspired. We believe it is. um, Some some use the word inerrant. Uh, The word inerrancy has been a part of a conversation with Bible scholars for the last 20 and 30 years. And the heart behind that word, I totally understand and appreciate. Uh, I wonder if That word needs nuance and explanation, though, because I think it can lead us to um, brick walls at times with how we treat books of the Bible and what we think they are. So this last one is significant. Job, the book of Job, was a real, historical story. I think most people you're going to interact with um, are probably going to hold to this view. And maybe some of you are surprised that I would even um, bring this up. Because if it's in the Bible and it's addressing a an individual and events, then... It must be historically true. But I think it's good to take a step back and say what does it mean for something in the Bible to be historically true? I think we should investigate uh, what we've got packed in our bags um, uh, in regards to our our modern approaches to what we think history is and Ask ourselves to identify what is the Book of Job. Now, what is commonly brought up is that Jesus refers to Job. Jesus refers to Job, and so I just want to acknowledge that that's a significant conversation that we need to have. Wherever wherever you're gonna land on that, it's. it's it's fine. doesn't matter to me. Um, But I think it would be helpful for you guys to have that, that journey of just going through the thought process of where are you at with the book of Job specifically. Keep in mind, the Bible is a library of books. So I don't take and treat one book the same as another book. And yet they're all inspired. Think of it like this. I don't treat Jesus's parables the same way I do his interaction with a Pharisee, right? Or the same way I do the genealogy in the beginning in Matthew 1. So even within a book, there's genre shifts. Think of the book of Exodus. Um, there's a song that they sing in Exodus 15 after God rescues them from the Red Sea. Uh, that song is Poetry. So poetry embedded within a narrative. So this is a significant conversation to have because I think it plays into what the book of Job is and what it's trying to accomplish for us. Um, But in no way does one's view of the literature of the book of Job necessarily impact um, their view of say the gospels or the book of Exodus. So I wanna, I wanna encourage you guys to treat each book of the Bible separately to identify its genre and to say, based on that genre, what are my expectations of this text? So yes, indeed, Jesus speaks of Job. He refers to him. I think actually Job's mentioned a few times in the New Testament. But that, that's a significant one that most come to the book of Job and say, it's a real story. It really happened because the Bible's inspired and because Jesus spoke of Job. And I think that one would be helpful to, to chat on more. So there's probably, guys, 30 more ideas that I could bring up. But we're at the 20-minute mark, 21-minute mark, and I want to be consistent with my time. So hopefully that intrigues you to keep listening, and off we go. We'll dive into the next lesson here and identify where the book of Job fits within the biblical canon. See ya.